That's that's how you be an expert, though. You only talk about stuff you know, not about the stuff you don't know. <laughs> Darn it, we're doing it wrong. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by JetBrains, makers of RubyMine. If you like having an IDE that provides great inline debugging tools, built-in version control, and intelligent code insight in your factories, check out RubyMine by going to jetbrains.com ruby. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 84 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Josh Susser. Hey, good morning, everyone. James Edward Gray. We're recording this episode on what's likely the last three-digit date in my lifetime. Or not three-digit, three-repeated number date. 12-12-12. Katrina Owen. Good evening. Avdi Grimm. Good morning. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Zach Holman. Good morning. Now, uh, David Brady is out this week. He And I'm the only one that can really make this joke, but he is out courting his third wife. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that like the standard thing to call in sick when you live in Salt Lake City? When you live in Utah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's been pretty sick for the last four or five days. So anyway, um, he, yeah, so he's, he's sitting out this episode. So, so who is this Zach Holman guy? Wait, let's do best of parlay. I'm so confused. Okay, what's the best of parlay this week? You're confused. The whole good evening, good night thing broke my brain. <laughs> it's almost like we're on a planet where different people live in different zones where the time is different. It's so confusing. I can't Katrina, imagine. hurry up and move to the U.S. Oh, working on it. Okay. All right, so best of parlay this week. Uh, there were actually multiple threads along the lines of uh, how do I get Ruby into my .NET shop or something similar uh, like that in, into an environment where uh, we're not using it heavily? And that's cool because, really, I have no idea. I know pretty much nothing about that. But the cool thing about Parlay is there's so many people on there that do that you get your questions answered anyway. That's cool stuff. Yeah, the, the, the fun thing about that thread for me was it, it was like a flashback to the 80s and listening to the conversations of people trying, you know, talking about trying to get small talk into COBOL organizations. Nice. So, yeah, that's, there's always something interesting going on on Parlay, even if we don't know about it. Yeah. Yep. What, is somebody going to try and take over Ruby Rogue's Parlay and make it Python or something? Uh, actually, I believe we're moving to Emacs. Emacs. <laughs> <laughs> Emacs Parlay. That's it. Oh, there we go. All right. Well, one other thing I want to uh, quickly remind everybody of is um, the Ruby Bits uh, course. You can go get it for free at rubyrogues.com slash rubybits. Um, this episode will come out probably toward the tail end of when you can get it for free. After that, you're going to have to sign up for Code School to get it. So if you want it, go get it today. And uh, was there another announcement or are we just ready to jump in? Let's jump. Ready. Back to who is Zach. Oh, one other thing I want to remind everybody of, Book Club. Um, the Book Club book is Sandy Metz, uh Practical Object-Oriented Design in Ruby. 
and we're going to be reviewing that with her on January 2nd. So that means that uh, if you want to have the book read by the time we uh, we get around to doing that, then you probably need to have it read by around January 9th because that's when the episode will be released. Yep. Or you could you could read it beforehand and uh, ask us, you know, put in your own request for questions and topics on the air. Absolutely. We'll probably actually open up uh, the discussion for questions on the Parlay list. So if you okay, want the inside track on that, then go sign up for Parlay. And you can do that by going to the website, and it's in the sidebar on the right. We don't have a page for that yet? Not or yet. I am working, working on, on it. Okay, cool. <laughs> we'll, have a, we'll have a page for that sometime soon. <laughs> Someday. Somehow. <laughs> okay. So hi, Zach. Who are you? That's like the third time it's been asked. I kind of just, we should just keep people in suspense and never introduce me. <laughs> Maybe at the end of the show. So, so who were you, who we talked to here? <laughs> that's that guy that's been yeah. on the call the whole time. Yeah. So, so which employee number at, Z- at GitHub are you? I'm uh, number nine. Ooh, that's pretty low. It's and not how, bad. How many, how many employees are there now? We're like at 140, something like oh. that. Ah. I didn't realize it was that big. Okay, so more important question, which user number are you on GitHub? I'm like 2,000-something. Oh, I got you beat there. I'm like 153. <sighs> well, I can change that. Well, <laughs> well, I would appreciate a single-digit user number. Correction, you were 153. <laughs> <laughs> right, now I'm 2,000, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. All right, so Zach, tell us, tell us about uh, what you've been up to at GitHub lately. What are you working on? Man, this year I've been doing a bunch of talks, a bunch of traveling, doing uh, conferences and that whole racket. And then I'm hoping next year I can actually sit down and build some product again, you know, rather than talk about it, actually, you know, do things a little bit more. So you're the PR team. Oh, God, I guess. (laughs) Someone called me a developer evangelist at some point, and it it kind of frightened me because it's just weird, you know. Yeah, that's creepy. I know what evangelists are. They walk around with Books of Mormon and wear white shirts and ties, right? It's pretty close to what my day-to-day is. Yeah, that's that's that gets it. Wasn't Guy Kawasaki the first uh, developer evangelist? I don't know. I I I think they may have invented that title for him at Apple way back in the 80s. Interesting. And he's done quite well with that. (laughs) True. Not bad. So, Zach, you didn't have anything to do with the newly released gist, right? Yeah, that was that was all me, front end, back end. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, not at all. All, all the all the bugs. No, those are somebody else. But can you at least tell us about the cool technology it's built on? Sure. So I don't know if you noticed this, but just looked horrible for I don't know five years, pretty much. Uh, so this has been kind of our big redesign for, for the for those time shifting. This podcast just was launched, relaunched yesterday. So just has sort of been the redesign. We started fresh and built it all up from the front end differently. Um, and then the back end is completely new too. Um, we're using libgit2 as the core of all of our Git stuff. Previously, we used Grit, which is uh, sort of our Ruby-based Git adapter, which talks to Git for us. Um, and now all of this is libgit2 via the use of the rugged gem, which is much faster, much cleaner, much fewer bugs, hopefully. That's cool. Well, the only thing I noticed is it's pretty. Well, that helps too. <laughs> Does you know rugged and libgit two make it prettier? Uh, makes it pretty fast. <laughs> but I like fast. 
No, it's it's mostly just a way of libget2 is our open source uh, C project we're we're helping with. So that is pretty much available in every language at this point, point. Um, and it's just a very nice, clean adapter. Rather than grit was sort of we built out, you know, over the years and kind of threw everything into it and was slow yeah. and chunky and yeah, yeah, and that's been like that's a five year old project at this point. Yeah, it, I mean, it predates GitHub by uh, two weeks, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think I remember the first presentation on it way back when. It was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> uh, so, and, but, uh, so, like, libgit2, it's all in C, it's open source, it's super fast. Anything else to know about it? What's this stack you built on top of it? You said rugged and yeah, uh, so GitRPC. Yeah, the core of it is uh, libgit2, um, which is written in C, and then rugged is our Ruby gem, uh, accessing the C directly. And then on top of that, internally, we have something called gitRPC, which is sort of our networked uh, git layer. Um, so it helps us run all of these git commands on all of our, I guess, 50, 60-some servers at this point, uh, just to sort of handle. It handles a lot of the, the caching and stuff, so you don't have to inefficiently query a bunch of Git stuff over the wire back and forth, um, things like that. So, Zach, you talked about uh, this kind of replacing Grid. Does that mean uh, you're, we're going to see GitHub, the proper site, go through that change as well? Yes. Uh, that is, it's going to be a long process, but we're starting on it now. Um, a couple days, or last week, I guess, we launched the, uh, the file attachment stuff. Or no. Well, we launched that too, but the the new file stuff where you can click on a, a, a repo and then create a new file straight from the web interface, that was the first use of GitRPC and uh, Rugged in GitHub.com proper. Um, and now we're starting to go back and replacing some of our really low-level objects and replacing that with Rugged. And it's, it's going to be a slow piece-by-piece process. But by the end of it, hopefully, I mean, some of the stuff that Rugged can do is just, you know, orders of magnitudes faster than how we were doing it in grit. So that's going to be awesome. How is long that is long? Are we, are we talking months or years? At least number of months. Uh, it's just, I mean, Git is sort of all over our code base at this point and all of the, the grit calls and stuff like that. And there's some stuff we can just sort of swap out, but you know, you, you don't want to do that overnight because you can really mess up a bunch of stuff that takes a long time to piece back together. Um, so, I mean, hopefully by the end of the year, maybe, it would be nice to have a whole bunch of stuff switched over, um, hopefully sooner than that, but it's one of those things that you kind of have to go piece by piece and see how fast it goes and what problems it causes us. So, uh, is the main, I mean, is the main driver behind this the performance? And is is there any real savings that you guys get money-wise as far as, you know, your your hosting costs going down because it's more efficient memory-wise or something, or, or it's I mean, faster, or what? Faster probably means we can, you know, do more with less. Um, and definitely in terms of, like, GitRPC will let us cache a lot of operations a lot smarter, so we don't have to do as much work on our actual servers. So, you know, the, the main reason is not necessarily money. Uh, it's, it's much more about having a clean interface rather than some sort of all-over-the-place you know, crazy code. Like some of the the actual grit code we have right now is just a mess because it's just been added on and added on and added on over the last five years. Um, so having sort of a, a nice, well-tested library is going to be great. Um, and the other cool thing about this is since it has adapters on so many different languages, 
Um, we started out by putting it into GitHub for Mac um, through uh, the libgit2 Objective-C stuff. Um, and then GitHub for Windows uh, is almost entirely based on libgit2, I believe. Um, so it's kind of nice. So you can see bottlenecks in other places before we end up seeing them on github.com and get them fixed and pushed up screen, upstream and stuff like that. So are there any features that this is going to... Because it sounds like most of this is kind of on the back end. It's not stuff that we're going to see. Is this going to um, enable any other features that we haven't yet seen on github.com that we're going to be able to use? It's going to probably enable us to do cool stuff, but probably not through the protocol itself. I think the idea is that the libgit2 team wanted to be sort of have feature parity with git proper by the end of the year. Um, so that's sort of the first stepping stone of can we get to you know, what the, the normal Git binary can give us. Um, and then once we do that, maybe they can start look at, looking at different ways of, you know, accessing information that's a lot quicker, or maybe there's some other cool stuff we want to build on top of it. Um, there are a few things that are really difficult right now in Git that would be nice if we sort of owned the whole end-to-end -end stack where we could sort of optimize for the case of, you know, we have X million users accessing a repo, um, maybe it's quicker and better to just, you know, stash this some other place. And, you know, stuff like that is probably going to be the big win instead of really crazy user features. Okay. I'm curious if this will make um, calculating my network graph go faster. <laughs> yeah, the network graph is interesting. That's all I'll say about it. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting piece of code. Where do, you, where do you access that? Or is that something that's done through the API? Um, the network graph itself, on, yeah. from our perspective? Oh, no, it's uh, in the UI. If, if you're no, looking it's at on the, yeah, it's on the UI page. Check if you just go to a some repository and click like the network tab. I think it is or something. Oh, yeah. I see. Where it shows all the branches and stuff. Yep. Okay. It's a good idea. My my guess will probably replace that with something a bit more useful at this point because it's just, especially if you have a big active repository, that just becomes really crazy really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's time to update to use D three. <laughs> We've been doing that for all of our other graphs and stuff. All those got swapped out for D three. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So this is the, the so the the first of the graphs is the is the last one to use the old style. Uh, maybe. I mean, we we ditched the impact graph. I think that may have predated network graph. I don't know. It's. I mean, that stuff's been in there for four years or so at this point. Or yeah, or maybe five. I I, I think it was like two thousand seven. That I remember Tom showing off that first network graph stuff. Well, GitHub didn't launch till 2008, so Wait, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> well, maybe it, maybe it was around 2008. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, they were definitely <laughs> hacking on stuff earlier or at the that late end of 2007. Yeah, yeah, we used to see stuff before things got to the public <laughs> way back when. <laughs> well, and when you're as old as Josh, things just tend to run together, right? There is that. It, it's like I always confuse Zach with. Um, you know, at least eight other Ruby developers. <laughs> Hopefully they're all good. Then I'll take it. That's fine with me. Okay, sure. We'll <laughs> go with that. <laughs> so, okay. So, so one thing we wanted to, to ask you about, about GitHub was um, how Ruby fits into the, the sort of polyglot ecosystem of all the different programming languages there. And I, th I think you said you, you you use something like forty two different programming languages to implement GitHub. Um, yeah, maybe uh, we use a bunch at this point. Uh, all of them, I think, was the quote. All of them, yes, yeah. every single language. 
I don't know. It's it's. I can't remember what the. I think I counted this up at some point. Um, but we we use a whole bunch of different things. Uh, Ruby is sort of our default, just because I think that's what the founders sort of use, and that's where GitHub.com is created, and everything sort of stems from that. But um, I mean, we drop down to C a whole bunch for different performance reasons. We have a whole bunch of Java. Like the only the closest thing to Ruby is probably JavaScript slash CoffeeScript, where everyone can sort of jump in and hack on Hubot or a couple other apps we have. But other than that, I mean, Ruby is kind of the, the tried and true thing that we can always go back and rely upon. Are you using Erlang for for RPC or anything like that? Um, I forget what the state of Erlang was. Erlang used to route different uh, requests and stuff on our backend service to the appropriate server. And at some point, uh, I think that just got replaced by Unicorn, which is kind of a ridiculous abuse of Unicorn, and I love it. Wow. Um, yes, I mean, it just handles all that stuff like a champ. Uh, I think that may mean, I think that, I haven't looked into this stuff in a, a while, obviously, but I think that replaced all use of Erlang. We're trying to get Erlang back in some of the GitHub Pages stuff, um, but we'll see when that actually ships. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we use Erlang for a number of years. That's cool. So do different developers like specialize in different languages or uh, just kind of things people pick up on the side or how's that work? Yeah, people just have weird backgrounds sometimes. Like I'm not even talking about languages. People are just weird here. Um, and it's kind of cool to get like diverse backgrounds of like, you know, somebody may be, I don't know, some weird academic in some specialized field or something. But I mean, definitely the different languages get used, maybe not necessarily in production if it doesn't make sense. But it's kind of nice where if you are learning a particular language, you want to know more, there's probably someone else you could ask and, you know, sort of pair with and learn more about it. And then eventually, um, you know, we've had a number of cases where, you know, someone's really interested in Node a few years back. So they hack on a couple side projects and then eventually before we know it, you know, we have a bunch of Node apps running in production. So it's kind of a nice little way to go from, I'm curious about this to let's ship it live. That's a, uh, something you talked about, let's ship it, and you, you actually told us before the call that you had been using the new GIS for a while, uh, and it was nice that it was now finally public. Tell us how that works. So that's sort of our philosophy overall is we'd rather get stuff out, deployed on production as soon as possible, um, at least for staff only, or barring that, at least for yourself. And that's just all handled with really dumb conditionals, like if user.staff or if user.login equals equals Holman, um, stuff like that. And you know the reason behind that is partially technical. Um, you, we don't have to deal with really hairy merges and trying to go back and forth between master and your feature branch, which has helped us in a lot of ways. Like the issues 2.0 launch we did um, two years ago at this point. Kyle launched that on stage in a lightning talk. And, you know, that, that seems kind of crazy to just sort of say, like, yeah, it's deployed now for real, like something that big. But it doesn't really matter when it's been deployed for us internally um, pretty much since inception for like three or four months. Um, so that just makes it really easy to not have to deal with like a really scary launch. Um, and then the other thing is just it gets real world feedback um, really early. So we've had just running internally since probably at least the summer. Um, and it lets people use uh, the new gist internally and share just that way. And you end up catching just a whole bunch of bugs that uh, you normally wouldn't otherwise catch because everyone's had the time where, you know, you deploy some app and you think something is a really good idea. And then you go back and, you know, a month later, you're like, this is the dumbest idea ever. Why would we ever possibly ship this? And then you just take it out and then, you know, ship something else. You guys build quite a few internal tools, right? 
Yeah, tons. So, uh, and those two can pop up in like any language and stuff? Usually. Um, if we're doing mostly web stuff, it's mostly going to be Ruby. And, you know, we, we used to do a bunch of Sinatra apps because we had a whole bunch of Sinatra creators and maintainers on our team. And I think we're now just sort of just end up doing Rails for everything just because it's easier and you have less stuff to learn. Um, and then that's that's mostly where we get all of our internal apps running on. It's just like kind of the Ruby Rails standard. That's cool. Okay. The, now, now, the the internal tools, is that just things that pop up as people see a need for it? Or do you have, it's like, I know Square is doing their hack week this week and just everybody takes time off from their regular deliverables to uh, go crazy and dream up new stuff. And, and, I, and I, I'm told that uh, the Square wallet started as one of those projects. So it's pretty productive for them to come up with new product ideas and things that way. Do you guys do something like that at GitHub or is it just that way all the time? Um, yeah, it's definitely that way all the time. Like we kind of laugh at uh, the the running joke is you know Google's twenty percent time, and we just call it a hundred percent time because you want to work on interesting stuff that is kind of relevant towards your particular perspective on stuff, and that's been really amazing for us. Um, looking back, if you look at some of the internal you know side projects that people have built because they said, "Hey, our current X sucks." Um, I, you know, everything that stemmed from that, like Hubot, our chat bot stemmed from that, um, our whole crazy CI infrastructure, our deployment infrastructure, um, that all stemmed from people just saying, man, this, this kind of sucks. I'm going to take time away from, you know, my quote unquote actual work in order to work on this, you know, either because it's fun or it's interesting, or I think it's relevant to, uh, the company. Um, and now we just have this crazy infrastructure that means we can deploy to everything with very you know, zero interaction with CI, like it's all very automated. Um, and that's really awesome. Like looking back, it, it's not really wasted time at all, um, which is really cool. So one thing I'm, I'm kind of wondering about then is, is there is there an overarching direction that you're trying to go in as far as the company goes? Or does everybody just kind of add in what <laughs> they think it needs? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, it's We're definitely... I think people have a pretty solid vision of where we want to go. Um, we get that just from constantly discussing crap all the time. We do a bunch of you know high-level vision stuff. Like twice a year, we get the whole company together and talk about like, you know, what do we want to do in the next six months, next twelve months? Um, and I think that really helps people with sort of a direction you want to go in. It's not just kind of like, well, you know, we'll do whatever today. Um, and then sort of the reason why that works, I think, is that there's a very strong culture of like, I'm going to show everyone what I'm working on early. And if people don't like it, they can just tell me no. And I haven't lost a lot of time. Um, and it's not like some big traumatic thing if someone says, no, I don't think this works. And then I can just move on to something that does work. Uh, and that culture really works well for us. Do you find that your developers are good at doing <laughs> that? Like, I know a lot of developers who, you know, they, they get attached to their idea or, or, you know, they, they can't let it go. Like it, I know that sometimes I'll hear someone say something like, um, oh, you know, it's 200 lines. So if we have to throw away the whole thing, who cares? And I always think, wow, good for you. You know, I think it's hard to think that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's much more a human problem than anything. And it, it does kind of suck if, 
you know, you're really tied to an idea or a feature or, you know, a bug or whatever you're, you're, you're working on and someone says no. And it's, it's much more a matter of, you know, we try and stress that it's, it's, you know, best argument wins is the, the phrase people end up saying. And it, it should be that if somebody, if a lot of people are saying, no, this doesn't work, that should be a sign that it probably doesn't work. Um, but you still have to sort of be cognizant that it's, it's kind of a personal thing sometimes, and you don't want to just be a jerk to your fellow coworker, you know? Right. Yeah. That's good, though. It probably, probably fosters better communication in the process, I would assume. Mm. Yeah, hopefully. Very cool. So, so, James, I think you had a whole long list of questions. <laughs> How about Jace? You want me to just write a <laughs> um, I, I have a few questions about uh, GitHub and how they use GitHub. Because I'm sure. assuming that GitHub itself is hosted on GitHub. Yes. Do, do, do you guys that, use the name? That's actually one of Zach's talks that I, I think that's the first time I ever saw him uh, live. He gave a talk, How GitHub Uses GitHub to Build GitHub. That was, that was a lot about like pull requests and code reviews, right? Yeah, uh, a lot of that sort of stuff and kind of the internal shipping stuff uh, to staff and things like that. So which version of GitHub do you guys dog food? Do you do, you do the public GitHub or do you have a, an enterprise GitHub <laughs> set up for your own internal use? I can't remember what the enterprise team is doing now. I think the idea is that they are dog fooding enterprise at this point. Um, if they're doing it now, that's the goal is to get them on their own uh, enterprise instance and get him working on that. Okay, but in general, the team is on the public GitHub? Yes, more or less. I mean, we we have, if you enable staff mode, uh, we have tons of stuff running concurrently that, you know, it, it's sometimes right. a, a weird and, thing to be like, what's actually deployed, what's not. And, and how do I enable staff mode? Uh, you talk to me and we'll, we'll see <laughs> if we can hire you. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Does the dog fooding include when uh, when the server goes down, everyone hops onto Twitter and complains about it? Uh, <laughs> no, we see enough of your complaints already. <laughs> Good answer. Um, I did see something cool the other day. Speaking of outages, um, you guys just uh, shipped pretty recently a new um, status API uh, for checking on status of stuff. And uh, the reason I took note of it is it has an optional hypermedia angle to it. So you can either just hit the URLs you want directly if you just want to use it more like a traditional API, but uh, if you want to go the hypermedia route, you can hit like the top level and it will give you the, the list of what's available and then you can follow those links and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we're probably going to end up doing a lot more of that in the API proper. Uh, there's some cool, exciting you know, the, I'm not an API geek, but for those of you who are API geeks, which I love you guys to death, um, I just can't get into hypermedia stuff like that. But we'll probably end up doing a lot more of that in the GitHub API proper. It's kind of cool. That is cool. I actually, I just read like Steve Klabnick's book like a few mm -hmm. months ago or something, and I got totally hooked on it. And now I'm just like building hypermedia APIs for everything. It's cool. <laughs> you said earlier that uh, GitHub is still running on Rails 2.3. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, but it's more like the Back to the Future time machine. It's a DeLorean on the outside, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's the but it's the Enterprise D on the inside. No, it's the flux <laughs> capacitor. So so if it's a DeLorean on the outside and the Enterprise D on the inside, then it's bigger on the inside. That makes it a TARDIS, right? I like where you're going with this. 
can it's can we some, can we can we somehow fit the death Death Star in there too? <laughs> something something. Mary Poppins is a Time Lord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay nice. so, so, tell us tell us about your rails too. Jeez, old and busted. There, I don't know. Oh come on, it's not old and busted. This is something old and that fast. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, that's fighting words. Hang well, on, I mean, I'm, call, I'm calling DHHN. Just sec. <laughs> that would be if you did that. That'd be amazing. By the way, uh, I would just be <laughs> impressed. We do have him on call. He he does not take my calls. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, just in terms of the two three stuff, we've always kind of been, I guess, slow to uptake. Just because there's a lot of code in GitHub, and swapping that stuff over to three three X would be it's. I mean, we've had a branch going for one nine and for two three or uh, three one three two. Um, we've had those branches running for at least two years now um, and, wow. and well it's like people would you know do the big things and then it, yeah, it's just we didn't have enough motivation to make the big swap over um, and I think that's kind of the the scariest thing for us is that I mean look at the 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 rugged stuff the libget2 stuff that's like the core of our entire site and the reason why that's fine is because we can swap it over you know method by method and not completely destroy everything um, and Switching over to Rails method by method doesn't really work. Um, so we've been, you know, very cautious about that. We're kind of skeptical of, you know, the the performance hit you take with AR three. Um, so you know, we've we've instead, I mean, we have our own asset pipeline in two three. We have uh, the escape by default stuff. Um, we have a whole bunch of things from the Rails three line of of, of tooling that we like, but we just haven't gone the whole way yet. You know. So when you pull that stuff in, do you actually go and kind of rip it out of Rails? Because Rails is open source and move it into your stuff, or do you sort um, of re-implement it? It, it depends. Uh, like the asset pipeline, for example, uh, we have the people who built the asset pipeline. Um, so we just, they're very good at either ripping it out or, you know, just kind of building our own custom sort of thing. Um, and in the cases where it makes sense to extract it for other people to use, uh, we'll go down the, that route as well. Because I think there are a lot of people who are still sort of stuck in this 2-3 world. Oh, yeah. Pardon me. I forgot. Everybody who doesn't work for Living Social or Groupon works for GitHub. That works. Or will. <laughs> or will. <laughs> or will. <laughs> so um, the 2-3 the thing, I, I think that there's probably a bunch of other companies still running on 2.3. I mean, I know that I still run something on 2.0, so it's not, <laughs> it's not too surprising. I, is there, um, it seems like there's, like, I don't know why there isn't a public, like, fork of Rails 2.3 that, that people are collaborating on, you know, sharing their backports and security fixes and things like that. I mean, there was, there was talk of doing that at one point, um, and I don't think anything really came of it. Uh, but it, it's really it's a weird place because you have all of the early adopters saying, you know, oh, screw you, you're not on the, the, the latest and greatest. I don't want to deal with you. And then you have all of you know the rest of us neckbeards, I guess, who care about like stable product, who are just like, I don't want the, the latest and greatest right now. Um, and there's kind of a, a weird middle ground that maybe doesn't exist. That's interesting. Well, it is open source, so I assume the problem can correct itself when it gets bad enough, if it ever does. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, there's definitely a lot of stuff in Rails 3 that we're interested in having. Um, it would be cool if we could somehow get Active Record 3, you know, backported and then slowly, you know, upgrade from there. 
Um, it's just it's really hard when the upgrade process is just as killer as the the two three to three zero switch was, and especially if we're going on to the the next version of Rails, which also seems precarious. Uh, you know, it's just, it just takes a lot of time when we'd rather be building features and stuff. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but I mean, if you guys got the SI pipeline working, you're about ninety eight percent there. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, we should just be able to, you know, gem install Rails 3, right? Right. <laughs> well, well, Rails comes with this, I don't know if you're aware of this, there's an upgrade script that is delivered with Rails. You just run, you know, you know Rails upgrade, and the rest of your application is fixed. There's, yeah, how, that's how the long idea. does that work in practice? I think that was a lot easier for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, I, I have a I have a left field question for you, uh, Zach. Um, the uh, years ago, GitHub did a cha a challenge for a Netflix like recommendation system for who people should follow, and they actually announced a winner of the challenge. and And yet, I've never noticed my follow recommendations get significantly better. Was that for the pr people who follow? I know we did one for uh, uh, the fastest version sorter. For like tags, I don't know if we did one for follow ease. Maybe that we was, did. That that was a long time ago. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it's been a yeah, while. Yeah. Well, uh, so, I mean, it, it may have just been in the in the time period of the challenge. You know, following stopped being a, a thing that the company cared about recommending. But yeah, I mean, I remember there was this whole challenge, and they. So yeah, the version sorting was another one. I never, I never uh, noticed what happened with that one though. Yeah, I think we used that code. Oh. Uh, the following stuff is the whole recommendation thing. I think is really interesting, and it'd be cool to get more things surrounding that and recommended repos and you know all of that sort of fun stuff. Well, all those recommendation engines. I think it's funny because like on on Facebook or whatever that has the you should follow this or Twitter. You know, it's like you follow Josh Susser, so you may be interested in James Edward Gray, Avdi Grimm, and Mitt Romney. And it's like it's like where'd that last one come from? You know. Have you seen Mitt Romney's code? He's he's great at programmer. Yeah, uh, actually, we're good friends. Uh, <laughs> we, we we worked on a on a project in Smalltalk uh, back in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be about right time wise. Yeah. He he never he never got oop. <laughs> mm. But but you know it's, actually, it's you, you get I, two I'm or three that make Mad Men, and he's actually mentioned in one of the episodes of uh, I think season five of Mad Men. Oh really? Seriously? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I should watch that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's funny because it's like it's like two or three that it's like, yeah, I could see that, and then the last one, and you're just like, what? It's like they always have to throw in the odd one, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Might be a way of trying to expand your filter bubble or burst it. Yeah, yeah. get you out of your echo chamber. Broaden your mind, man. I live in or, Utah. Or, anyway. or it could be them just pretending they're doing that by by like recommending someone they know you would never follow. Just to sort of pretend that there was some variety. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Psyching me out. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Zach, there's a lot of um, stuff I've been hearing about people using GitHub for projects that are not related to software, like people putting novels up on GitHub or uh, uh -huh. the or or like. Uh, legislatures using it for their laws and things like that. It, yeah, wasn't what, it Germany that did their uh, did their laws there? Yeah, I believe so. So, so what what's the what's the coolest non coding use of GitHub that you've seen? There's been a couple people who put their uh, 
their DNA results, their genome or something. Um, That was really cool. Uh, And then there was one guy who put his life on there, basically. So he would go back and make commits uh, about, like, important parts of his life. And then I don't know if he put branches in them or something like that. Or people could fork them and say, like, no, you shouldn't have gotten married here. I don't know. It, It was kind of funny looking back. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely wish I could fork various places in my life and then mm-hmm. and then rebase. Revise. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd rather just branch. Yeah. Yeah, git merge. Use that branch. <laughs> it's really oh, strange. It's it's a good sign though, right? Like, I mean, about how how easy it is to collaborate over that stuff. I mean, if if a government can actually consider GitHub an easy way to throw a law out there and let people fork and provide revisions and stuff. You know, it really is kind of a social coding thing, you know? And, and, and how much attention does, does GitHub pay towards, uh, say like new features for people who aren't coders? It's, it, I would say it'd be very difficult to build anything that makes sense for a non-coder, um, without making a whole new product more or less. Because like, so my mom's a lawyer, for example, and I know her friends and I know none of them would ever understand any aspect of GitHub at all. Uh, so it's much less a, you know, nerds get all the really cool stuff like 10 years before the rest of people do. Mm-hmm. And it usually trickles down in a less effective form, but it's more accessible to more people. So I think that would be a better approach than trying to shoehorn it and make GitHub kind of accessible for the non-technical person necessarily. Okay, so GitHub is right now in the stage of dial-up internet back in the, you know, 80s. Your AOL disk. <laughs> Maybe. And, 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 you know, you're saying in, in five years, uh, you know, we'll be at, um, you know, DSL and everyone <laughs> will have GitHub. Maybe. It's, 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 we, we get all the cool stuff. I mean, it, as long as, it's not like it's a bad idea to have version control. It just hasn't sunk in for the rest of humanity yet. I think I, in I some ways, the- though, you maybe underestimate the the general appeal. I mean, you know, I, I've definitely been on projects where we're working on something and the non-technical person, uh, you know, sees a misspelling on a page or something and manages to navigate to the right uh, part in GitHub, which is probably the hardest part for a non-technical person. But then making the edit's fairly easy, right? I mean, you can bring up the editor, (laughs) you know, tweak the words, and you're good. Yeah. I I guess I'm coming at it more from, like, a tooling standpoint. Like, if you look at Git itself, Git doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Right, Uh, Like, staging this commit, and then you have, like, a SHA, and then, like, what is a SHA, and... It, the, every step of the way is something that is really confusing that only makes sense if you're a programmer in some aspects. Um, so I think while, you know, version control in general makes sense for everybody, uh, the specific, you know, people may be able to understand parts of GitHub's website, but it's it's just not the right outlet for a normal human being. Yeah, my father has a hard enough time understanding that, you know, like the settings dialogue is where you go to change your username. It's like, it's like yeah. yeah, he's, a, you know, he's, yeah, the, yeah, and he's a really smart doctor. So at least he can find the settings dialogue. I mean, that's, yeah. that's light speed ahead of a lot of other people, too. So according to Hacker News, we're all going to be uh, programming um, in GitHub instead of our editors <laughs> in 10 years. Um, I mean, the obvious question there is, is, um, 
is when is GitHub going to implement MX Doctor so I can psychoanalyze myself? Um, but um, uh, only Emacs users got that joke. But um, when you said according to Hacker News, I just thought you were being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, well, that was a real comment, right? I didn't actually follow up on that. <laughs> yeah, it is a real um, comment. But. Um, but more seriously, I mean, uh, you've been working on a lot of um, a lot of features for editing code uh, right on the site. Do you see a lot of people using that uh, to collaborate? Yeah, I mean, the the updates updates specifically for uh, the new file stuff was really uh, kind of fun to watch because um, it's it, it's more targeted for the people that know how to do all that stuff in the command line. But if you can make it simpler, um, you know, why not go those steps? So it, it's been really cool to see that. Yeah, I mean, I was I was really impressed with the the other day. I um, accidentally hit edit on a file uh, that it was in the original project instead of in my fork of it, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and I hit submit on it, and it basically said, "Hey, uh, you you were actually working on the original, uh, so we've automatically moved this, put this onto your fork of the project, and submitted it as a pull request." Yeah, um, so it was a very very smooth process. I was pretty impressed with that. Yeah, stuff like that's really cool. Um, definitely could be cleaned up a little bit more, but you know, it's it's still really uh, a fun thing to discover like that. I mean, I'm seeing more and more. You know, there's what was it the uh, the the Bespin project, which became Cloud Nine. It seems like uh, that's actually that's an idea that's actually starting to get gather some legs. I mean, everything to the cloud, right? That's that's the future of everything. Yeah, until it cycles back around. Until it comes back. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. So tell us the coolest thing we don't know about GitHub, Zach. The coolest thing you don't know about GitHub. And we already know that you work there. <laughs> yeah, so that's off the table. That's the most miraculous thing. I don't know. I, I, I like digging uh, our process sort of stuff. And I, I love kind of saying the fact that we've, we're at 140 people-ish, so give or take. Um, we still have nobody has left the company, which I kind of find really fascinating. Nobody, nobody has left ever. Yeah, no one's quit. Wow. Which I've I've never heard of any company come close to that. Usually, people around the fifty person mark, uh, they end up doing other stuff. Yeah, I worked for a company that they kept saying that everybody who had left had ever left had come back. Yeah, that didn't hold. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty good. I know that uh, that Pivotal Labs uh, used to brag a lot about how many people who had left the company came back, and it, you know, sort you know sort of had the revolving door thing going. But it was you know there were a lot of people who would leave and come back because it was a great place to work, and when they were between things, they would go back there. But people left, so <laughs> I, I think GitHub uh, definitely has something up on that. I mean, it won't last forever, uh, but you know, it's it's definitely nice in the meantime because just we don't have to deal with, you know, losing a person really sucks in terms of trying to recoup, you know, the institutional knowledge they have of whatever the projects they're working on, and yeah, I think it's there's something to be said for kind of the way of how we work that I think is kind of interesting and retains people. Yeah, well, it it should be interesting. You guys have such a, um, I think. Uh, uh, iconoclastic is that the right word? Uh, uh, set of policies for how you run the company. It's a, it's like so different from most companies out there, and right. 
And since you've never really had to deal with the problem of people leaving the company, you haven't addressed that yet. So it'll be interesting to see what the company comes up with for you know people leaving. Uh, I've been suggesting murder, but it <laughs> hasn't flown. <laughs> we'll just have people no, start disappearing. Yeah, no, go no, with that. No wonder no one's left. Jeez, <laughs> oh, now we know why, right? <laughs> go to a Raise drink up, never come back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. What what is the thing about the? It, you know, it's like we we've read a lot about you know how different GitHub is and how they run their business. What's the thing that you like most about working there? You know that that's maybe unusual. I mean, we have a bunch of perks and stuff like every other company. Um, but I think when you look at what actually creates happy people is uh, the very core. How do you work? And I think it's much more about you know sort of we don't have work hours. We can work wherever you want. We're like 60% remote. And then of that, maybe half of the people show up to the office every day. Um, we're very friendly in terms of how you want to get work done. You can have a family life outside of work. You know, things that are very sensible things that not a lot of companies end up doing very well. Um, it's, it's, I think if you want to look at sort of employee happiness, you have to look at the very basic level of, do, are you happy doing work day to day? Yeah, it's a good point. It's a yeah. now, now you guys got a lot of these ideas from Valve, right? Uh, not necessarily Valve. Valve leaked, quote unquote, uh, their handbook earlier this year, and for us, that was more of a matter of um, we had heard Valve doing similar things, but we didn't know how closely we matched up to Valve, um, and that was really kind of just comforting because they're more than double our size, and it's it's nice to know that when you're doing stuff like this, that somebody has been doing it longer and at a bigger scale than you. But in terms of how we work, I think we just ended up having a bunch of founders who worked at really crappy places. Um, and that's <laughs> more than anything else. I think this is just a reaction towards stuff like that. Like, uh, we have no deadlines, for example, it's, we ship stuff when stuff is ready. And that stemmed directly from, you know, Chris Wanstroth worked at a place where you had to meet your deadline and stuff, and it sucked and ended up with crappier code. So um, I think it's sort of a, we're motivated by fear, maybe. Fear of a crappy company, I guess. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, are there any other things that we want to talk about before we get into the picks? Uh, Zach, can you uh, spill the beans on anything as an exclusive for us? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we have this guy on the show? <laughs> Remember the whole murder thing he talked about earlier? I can't even believe you asked. Jeez. Well, well, in your we'll time zone. But they they have to they have to hire him first to do that. Right. Well, not necessarily. Yeah. yeah, see that's the downside of of, of getting staff mode. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> It's got that feature that can reach out of the computer. and If you're in staff mode, you're also in murder mode. So. <laughs> yeah. It, doesn't, I, actually, I, I it totally. doesn't actually kill you. It just, it just sucks you into, the, into, um, you know, in, into the, the whole Tron Matrix thing. There you go. Yeah. It's like Tron. The internal apps is called Guido, and they can just, like, you know, <laughs> pick a person. And... I, I, so you're saying that they're, 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 so you're saying that that app is written in Python? <laughs> Yeah, he's going to give us an exclusive, and then I can just see the headlines. Rogues found dead. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Only David Brady survives. <laughs> so, okay, Zach, so important question. What's the most popular draft in the kegerator? 
Um, I don't know. I've been out of town for two weeks, so. Oh, it changes that quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. It's, we don't end up drinking a whole bunch of the draft beer. We have a bunch of other. That's not true. We've seen the blog post, Zach. Don't lie. Come on. <laughs> we throw drink up, so we don't end up. I actually drink a lot less at GitHub than I did during the early days. So I don't know. It's it's more of a chill out thing than anything else. Somebody made the comment that like as soon as you end up with like you know beer and alcohol all over the place, people just stop drinking, and that's kind of the case. It's <laughs> <laughs> like well, it's not hard to get anymore. You don't drink as much as the early days, and I suddenly had had a vision of like you going through code and going, oh, this must have been one of those days. <laughs> as long as you stay in the bomber peak, you're pretty set. <laughs> hey, hey you, you write the test sober. It doesn't matter how drunk you are when you're programmed. That's right. Okay. As long as it I think I can disprove that. <laughs> your favorite beer then to drink while, while uh, coding? I don't know what coding. So I keep track of all my beers I drank for the last three years. I don't know why. Four years at this point. Uh, Do you have it? You have a Git repo? No, it's all on uh, datum, D-A-Y-T-U-M dot com slash Holman. Uh, I, I don't know. I, it doesn't matter how much I've had to drink, but I'll always write down my beer. So my number one right now by a, a large amount is Anchor Steam, just because that's like water out here in San Francisco. It's everywhere. <laughs> it, it is somewhat unavoidable. It runs hot, cold, and Anchor Steam, huh? <laughs> My, my biggest wish, if I could get Yingling out here, because uh, I went to school in Pittsburgh, and Yingling is amazing, and it's near. Nice. But you can't get it past Ohio, basically. Nowhere west yeah. of that. You could say the same thing about Iron City, but I don't think anyone ever complains about that. No one says that about <laughs> Iron City. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, what, when I was back in Pittsburgh uh, in August, I had an Iron City, and I was like, oh, yeah, didn't miss that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Isn't it gone at this point? I thought they killed it. No, it's still around. <laughs> well, you guys can discuss shipping costs with uh, Avdi. Let, let's get into the picks. I, I think we're pretty much there. So, <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about beer. It must be picked. <laughs> Avdi, do you have a pick? <laughs> Avdi, do you have a beer pick? Lager. <laughs> All right. So, so yeah, let's do this. Um, Zach, it sounds like you have some ideas of stuff you like. You want to go first? Whatever. Up to y'all. Okay, go ahead. So my my only real pick, I guess, I, I've been traveling and it's I don't even know what's going on on the internet anymore. I'm jet lagged, whatever. Uh, so I relaunched my blog yesterday, and the cool thing I used on that was stuff from Symbol Set, um, and they make a whole bunch of really cool uh, icon fonts. And the one I used was uh, SS Social, which is a bunch of social icons. So they have like an Octocat for GitHub. They have a Dribble icon, Twitter icon, um, and yeah, I, I love icon fonts at this point because they're very sharp. If you guys have, do you guys have Retina MacBook Pros? No. no. Oh, it's a totally different internet. You can see which sites care about this stuff and which don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, what are your picks? I was looking at the font Zach was saying. Um, <laughs> the um, okay, so I've got three. Uh, so I'll try to go quick. Uh, the first one is a cool video I saw called The Black Magic of SSH. Um, so if you're like an SSH novice or so, you probably get a lot out of this. It's uh, pretty long. It's like an hour. And he spends like the first half talking about redirection in SSH. So from, you know, the client to the server or the server to the client. And um, But it's probably the best description of it ever. 
um, because he really, you know, gives you like, why would you use these and what would you use them for and stuff. So if you don't know what SSH redirection is, you should totally watch that. Or if you kind of know, but you get it right by accident, this would probably clear it up. And then the second half of the videos is, is several just miscellaneous grab bag features of SSH, which are cool, uh, multiple I didn't know about at all. So that's cool. And then another video I saw recently that I enjoyed was Peepcode's new series called Up for Scaling Up. They released their first video and it's Eric Linval just explaining how he scales Paper Trail. And the conversation's really good at, at um, you know, at, at times it's uh, pretty common sense stuff, but he does get into kind of some tools and techniques that are neat. There, there's a couple of annoyances in this peep code video just in like their chapter headers. There's sometimes like two of them and then the music doesn't make sense. And the questions are all just these slides on the screen. So there's no code or anything and you could just listen to this thing in the background except you wouldn't know what questions they were asking him because they're like a slide on the screen. So you have to keep like switching back to the video and that's kind of annoying. But uh, as far as like scaling up your app, uh, give some some interesting ideas and ways to think about it. And then finally, um, uh, people liked my recent pick of children's toys uh, from when I was Christmas shopping for my daughter. So here's another one I found uh, since Christmas is on the horizon that is kind of a cool little role-playing game. You can play with them and just set up little adventures and it gives you the uh, the parts to uh, to play a little game with them. And it's good for like four-year-olds and stuff. So I'll admit I haven't actually tried it in practice yet because my daughter's only two, a little over two, and it's probably still a bit above her uh, what she's ready for. But it looks cool to me and it's cheap. So uh, check it out. Okay, those are my picks. Awesome. Uh, Josh, what are your picks? Hmm, I had a, I had a, kind of busy and distracting week. I don't have a have much in the way of picks, but I do have one thing that I thought was awesome. So I will I will pick that. And that's that um, uh, Aaron Patterson organized a, an online meeting of uh, Ruby implementers. So all of the major uh, Ruby implementations had representatives. They did it on IRC uh, was, uh, a couple days. It was like two days ago. It was on Monday this week. And uh, and there's a and they you know it was in IRC so it was easy to just grab the output as meeting notes so I'm gonna pick that and it's pretty fascinating reading to see you know what's going on and the the people who create the Ruby implementations what they care about so um, I, I I think it's it's great that there's uh, you know people coordinating all of this stuff and you know who care about providing some consistency among the different language implementations so. I think that's pretty cool. So that's my pick. Awesome. Katrina, what are your picks? I have two today. Uh, the first is a Python library called HTTP, maybe? I'm not quite sure about the pronunciation. It's HTTP for humans. So if you spend a lot of time on the command line with curl, um, this will make your life um, a little bit nicer. Uh, the other pick is a, it's a book, like old school. It's called The Anatomy of Story. And it's not really for um, techies. It's written for people who write fiction and screen like movies and things. But if you do a lot of con conference presentations, um, this would help structure your presentation in a more compelling way. So, anatomy of story. 
It, is this related to, um, uh, was it Nancy? Uh, was it, she did uh, the secret structure of, of talks. Nancy Duarte? No, not yeah. at all. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Na- yeah, <laughs> yeah, Nancy Duarte. I love that video. I think that was someone's pick recently. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I think it was picked. Yeah, okay. So uh, it sounds like I have another uh, another thing to watch. Awesome. Uh, Audi, what are you Read, picks? Josh. It's a book. Read. Read. W- wait, wait, wait. I actually have to use my words? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll explain it after the show. Go on. <laughs> Avdi, what are your picks? So let's see. I read a couple of good blog posts recently. There's this one from Eric Reese and um, uh, let's see, and Sarah Milstein on the Startup Lessons Learned blog about solving the pipeline problem. It's all about how they handled how they handled arrange, uh, cre- creating a, a lean startup their lean startup conference with a uh, really a pretty remarkably diverse speaker lineup relative to other technical conferences and uh you know they go into things like you know the the blind blind review or a somewhat blind review process but that that not being you know not being the whole story you know they talk about uh, a lot about really just the importance of getting outside of your circle you know your inner circle basically and how you know a lot of this this diversity stuff it isn't about like trying to find token people from other you know from other ethnic groups or something like that, but it's really about the fact that people have circles that they don't even really think about. And, you know, those circles exist probably for historical reasons, but those circles tend to be fairly, um, you know, uh, homogenous and they just don't really think about how, um, you know, how tight those circles are. And so a lot of the, the post is just about thinking outside that box, um, and getting help to think about outside that box you know, and how, how their, their conference was much improved by it. Yeah. The, uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 would, I just, I hate editorializing other people's um, picks, but I, I feel a little uh, compelled well, to I've jump done in it to here. You. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so I, yeah, the only thing I want to say about that is that it sounds like it's a lot of work to do what they did. And if you ascribe to the, uh, to the position that diversity has value, things that have value are worth working for. So it's just, I think, you know, people who show up at a conference and are pleased by the diversity or displeased at the lack of diversity, uh, you should understand that it actually takes work to create diversity in a conference these days. I, I hope that someday in the future, someday soon, maybe it's not that much work and that the diversity, you know, we have a lot more diversity in the community. So it, it just happens more naturally. But these days to create that value of diverse viewpoints and uh, you know, a more robust, uh, you know, ecosystem uh, that it just takes work. And it's great to see people documenting how they achieve that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, um, you know, your conference, Gogoruko, uh, was a uh, was a gr- great example of that, of that really, you know, succeeding and a better conference coming out because of it. Yeah, and, and people take different approaches to that. It's, you know, what was it like uh was it uh, Ruby Midwest where they had the opportunity scholarships? Was that Midwest mm. or Rocky Mountain? I don't know. It was I the one Marty, Marty Hot was uh, talking okay, about. That's, that. that's Rocky Mountain. Rocky Mountain. Yeah, Rocky, Rocky Mountain. Yeah, they did a great job with that. And I think, I think they uh, we might see more of, of that kind of approach in the future too. So anyway, enough about my editorializing. Bye. <laughs> um, another good blog post I read recently uh, is called "Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Constant Lookup in Ruby." 
and it is exactly what it sounds like. And it is I learned great. Yeah, it's really great. I learned a few things from it. You know, it's just constant lookup, but it's good to know these things. It you'll pro- you'll be less confused about why why your code isn't seeing constants that you think it should be seeing uh, after you read this article. And finally, a hardware pick. Pick. Uh, I recently picked up a lightly used Shuttle Pro Two controller device. It's a jog dial or a jog shuttle dial. I'm not sure what what it's called. Anyway, it's it's a tool for like video and audio editors. And it has a uh, an, an inner wheel that is used for uh, advancing frame by frame. You can spin it as fast or as slow as you want. It's got little little tiny clicks to to indicate each frame. And then it's got like an outer uh, dial, an outer well, an outer ring which is spring loaded that you can sort of twist to to the left or the right to fast forward and rewind in in whatever your editing application is. And, and the the farther you twist it. The, the faster it goes, and then when you get to the point you want, you know, you can slow down, or you can just release it, and it springs back. Um, and then it's got, like, 15 programmable buttons on it as well. And uh, I've been using it to, uh, in my editing of Ruby Tapas videos, and it's just great. It's, um, the, the, the thing that I love about it is that it's got enough programmable buttons on it that I'm not, like, um, shuffling my, generally... I'm not like shuffling my hands between three devices, you know, the, the keyboard, the jog dial, and the and the mouse. I can pretty much just keep my left hand on the the jog dial and my right hand on the mouse, and do most of the things that you know, most of the common operations that I I do on video. So if you edit video and audio, or audio or anything like that, totally take a look at this thing. Sounds good. All right. So my picks are uh, first off. Um, I just wanted to explain briefly. I know I've uh, championed Vim in the past, but uh, I've been working on this project for the last six months, and the team has adopted Emacs. And since we're pairing all day, uh, you know, you you don't really get a choice in using something else. And so I have actually switched whole hog to Emacs just because the context switch from Emacs back to Vim is so painful that it's just, you know, it it's not worth it. So. Um, when I made the switch, I went around trying to find uh, an acceptable Emacs that would run all of the plugins that we're using for this client. And the one that I found is um, Emacs for Mac OS X. Um, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's at emacsformacosx.com. Um, the other thing that uh, I experienced this weekend, this last weekend, was Global Day of Code Retreat. That's something that's organized by Corey Haynes and a few other folks. And uh, I so I went to one that was local here and uh, just had a terrific time. Code retreats are awesome. And uh, if you want to get some challenges, you know, in, in different languages or different techniques or putting different constraints on your project, then this is just a terrific way to go to learn some of the um, some of the ways that you can vary on what you're doing in your code. So I highly recommend if you have an opportunity to go to a code retreat to do it. And you can find out when they're scheduled at coderetreat.org. So uh, those are my picks. And uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Just want to remind everybody again to uh, go check out Ruby uh, Ruby Rogues Parlay. You can just find it on the rubyrogues.com website at this point. The book club book, uh, which we will be reading at the beginning of January. Uh, go pick that up. Um, there is a discount code if you buy two books. You can get 40% off, so you can get Programming Object Oriented Design in Ruby and another book, and then get 40% off. That was the the coupon code that they gave us. Are there any other announcements? Anything else we want to bring up? Code Bits. Oh, yes, Code Bits. Uh, Go sign up for Code Bits. 
Um, you can get that, like I said, probably for another day or so. And you can do that at rubyrogues.com slash code or slash rubybits.